0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Defamation Podcast, and as usual, I am your intrepid host, Eric Bauer, back again with another episode for your listening pleasure. I don't know. Is it going to be enjoyable? Will you dig it? Can you dig it? These are the questions, the burning questions that come to mind anytime I sit down to record one of these beasts of... Audio torture. It's probably not all that bad. Anyway, I am back approximately four weeks after the last episode aired, uh, which is pretty good for me considering the last interim was five months. Um, I'm going to try, as I've stated already, to not be so perpetually late with every installment of the podcast. Um, This one I have been working on a bit, um, but I'm kind of going for a little bit of a different uh, angle uh, on this episode, a little bit of an experiment. Uh, Previously, as I've admitted uh, to uh, to you fine folks, uh, I do some scripting uh, for what I have to say. Um, It helps me to not only keep my train of thought um, on point, Uh, But it also um, reminds me of a lot of the stuff uh, I have to divulge about what it is that I'm talking about. I'm going to freeform it today. We've got an outline with a few specifics. uh, But other than that, we're just going to fucking wing it. See how shit goes. Anyway, uh, previously we talked about some of my favorite releases for 2019 as uh, as of now. Um, still stands, and I hope those of you that listened were able to find something out of that bunch of records that stuck with you or clicked with you or made your day or fucking got you stoked. Um, I want to do it again, and I plan to, at, at least one more time before the end of the year, uh, talk about another batch of 2019 releases. There are definitely more uh, on my radar that I want to talk about, Um Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, (laughs) We're going to go ahead and jump into the usual segue of the shit that I have been spinning. Now, first up, this is one that I have been addicted to for uh, for a while. Uh, I've been going back to it going back to it. Uh, I picked up the LP, um, so it's been on the table a lot. Um, And I'm talking about the album Noise Addiction by Pure Hell. Hell. Um, Pure Hell was a band, or is a band, from the Philly area. Philadelphia, Philly. Can you say Philly if you're not actually from Philadelphia? Is that okay, or is it faux pas? I've always wondered. Um, Anyway, the album Noise Addiction originally came out in 1978, uh, but was not released until 2006 by Welfare Records. Um, the version I got is a 2016 re-release uh, from Beat Generation and La Felguera Editores. I think that pronunciation is correct. Agente Provocador. This album fucking smokes, let me tell you. It is early punk, uh, reminiscent of MC5, Dead Boys, The Damned, Stooges, The Usual Suspects, um, and it fucking rages, um, you know, it's, it's an album that has so much energy, (laughs) it's hard to keep up with, to be totally honest, um, but it's a fucking fantastic listen, uh, there's a couple EPs as well that I have yet to pick up, um, one of them was Unearthed by none other than Henry Rollins, if I'm not mistaken, um, and it's good shit. I've heard it, um, but not yet picked up because there's a lot of shit on my list. Um, anyway, fucking check it out. Pure hell. Noise addiction. Fucking rules. Um, the sec. Mm, wow. The second album we're gonna talk about, in brief detail, not really in detail, just in brief. Um, Ostrogoths, Full Moon's Eyes is an EP released in 1983 on Mausoleum Records. Uh, they're from Belgium, and they fucking rule. If you're familiar at all with the uh, French heavy metal scene from the uh, '80s, I'm talking about shit like uh, volcane or um, shit, uh, Sort of Ledge. Um, I can't think of any uh, any others to to, <laughs> to save my life right now. Fuck, see, I'm on the fucking spot, and I brain fart. Uh, Voodoo Child I think is another band uh, From that scene um, There are several others uh, ADX Fucking um, Well I'm really struggling here ADX is a good one though uh, Definitely peep that shit um, Anyway Ostrogoth, that's what we're talking about here They're from Belgium uh, Put out the EP in 1983 They have several full lengths that followed it um, but none of them as strong as the EP. Um, it uh, to describe its sound. If you're familiar with any of those French bands I listed, um, or the darker side of New Wave of British Heavy Metal bands, um, it's just fucking good shit. Uh, the follow-up LP was in '84, and then there was an album released in '85. And, uh, they released another album 2015. I have not heard the 2015 one. I have heard the other two. Like I said, they're pretty, they're, they're decent. They're not bad. But the EP just fucking demolishes, um, both of them. And the last one I'm going to talk about, uh, is Decapitators. We Will Destroy. You Will Obey. And this album was released originally in 1999 by the, um, long-standing, but no longer operational, blackmetal.com. Um, back in the day, that was the place to go if you wanted some fucking obscure shit. Black metal, death metal, traditional heavy metal. Um, had a, a website that looked like it was built with geo-cities. Uh, a phone number that you could call and place an order over the phone. Kind of like relapse back in the day. Um, Relapse actually reissued this album in 2010. Uh, They are a San Jose thrash band. And uh, most notably, uh, they feature Matt Harvey uh, from Exhumed and Gruesome and Expulsion and a bunch of other bands. Um, And they're basically playing German thrash uh, a la Sodom, creator. Um, Just fucking savage, savage goodness. Um, The riffs are awesome, uh, the energy is just, uh, always there, it's a fantastic listen, can't hype that release enough, um, it's not super easy to find these days, vinyl, pretty expensive, CD, also kind of shockingly expensive, um, I've had my copy for, uh, a grip, so, uh, I couldn't even remember to tell you how much it cost, that's not the point, the point is the music fucking rules, anyway, that said, uh I also want to put in a plug for uh supporting your local fucking shops. You want to go out and snag any of these things that I'm going to talk about today, whether it's the three that we just covered in brief or what we're going to go through uh coming up, hit up your local shops. Please. Uh, you can get all these on Discogs and in some cases uh, if you really want them and you really want them bad and you really want them now, that's probably going to be your best bet. I'm, I'm I'm just as guilty of going the Discogs route as anybody else. eBay, too. Um, but fuck, isn't the hunt, the physical in-person hunt, half the fun of buying fucking records? I don't know. It is for me. Anyhow, we're going to go ahead and talk about some cool shit. You can probably hear my papers rustling, my uh, brief sketches and p- terrible notes. Uh, today's episode brought to you by Regional Goodness. This is the shit that I came up on as a child. Uh, the stuff that got me hyped on music. The stuff that got me into the headspace that I'm at now. Um, kind of starts at the beginning of my interest in music that isn't FM friendly. Um, anyway, let's get into it. Oh, This month's intro brought to you by the Melvins, who I will not be discussing in much detail today, uh, as much as they were influential and key to my musical development. Um, I suppose I wanted to kind of start with the obvious here. I guess you could make an argument that the Melvins are obvious uh, and go to the not so obvious. Coming up where I'm from... uh, Grunge music was impossible to avoid. And I would be lying if I were to say that in the late 80s and real early 90s, that is not what got me initially interested in music. Um, I had, of course, heard music, <laughs> classic rock music, radio friendly FM hits. Um, I actually grew up in a house that was about five blocks away from. Uh, it was either the DeGarmos or the Rockenfelds, uh, Queensryche. And, um, I remember them jamming out in their garage. Uh, we would ride our bikes through the neighborhood and post up on the corner and listen to what I'm assuming are, uh, jam sessions, including shit off of the first EP, uh, and the warning, um, this would have been pre rage for order. And, um, that's an album I don't really recall very well, um, but I digress. Uh, that's a story for another time, another place. Um, that did, however, get me kind of stoked. Uh, again, I'd be lying if I said it, it didn't. Now, I suppose the, the easiest place to start uh, in this case would be with Sub Pop Records. It was everywhere um, in the Seattle area. You could not escape it. Uh, the logo itself is, is uh, like, permanently ingrained in the mind of, of kids and their parents who grew up uh, and, and, and lived in this region um, back in the day. Um, even my parents heard of Sub Pop Records, and uh, that's, that's saying something. Um, maybe not a lot, but a little bit. Uh, now, Sub Pop itself, uh, as you know, it's a label. It's a huge label now. Um, it's still, I guess it's still probably considered independent. Um, but not big, nonetheless. It's, 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 like I said, it's, it's well known. Back then, not so much. Uh, it was, uh, started by Bruce Pavitt. Dude came from Olympia, Washington. And he started as a print zine. Uh, and then later he turned it into a cassette zine. So it was just, like, cassettes that he would release here and there with bands that he liked from the region, um, on it. It was fucking awesome. Um, I was lucky enough to have had a, a few of those float through my hands throughout the, uh, years. Um, not anymore, sadly. I'm sure those things fetch a pretty penny, not that I'd sell. Um, that was between like 81, 86, uh, somewhere in that, uh, neighborhood. Uh, he didn't release a record until, uh, Sub Pop 100, which was another Various Artist comp. Um, it was a rad comp. It had Skinny Puppy on it, Naked Raygun, fucking Shonen Knife from Japan, The Wipers, uh, U-men, who I'm not going to talk about because it's really, uh, that's a band that's it's hard to know where to start with. Uh, it's so important to um, the regional scene in Seattle and Olympia and Portland and Bellingham and Vancouver. Um, I don't think any bands that came up after the U-men would say that the U-men didn't have a direct influence on, on what they played. Um, but I digress. Uh, The second notable release on sub-pop was the Dry as a Bone EP from 1987 by Green River. Um, Another phenomenal album uh, and a time capsule. Um, Now, the first thing that floated across my radar that was sub-pop related was the Mudhoney Touch Me I'm Sick EP. And one of the things that is nice about the sub-pop EPs from back in the day um, is the sub-pop singles series. And they all had like the same header, with the artist name and the EP name, with the uh, with the B side listed, and the sub pop logo. Um, so you have a nice little collection of, of all these things that uh, come from the same label. Um, and Mud Honey's "Touch Me, I'm Sick" EP, uh, I managed to snag uh, early. Um, I in fact I remember how I, I got it. I I, I want to say I was sick at home. Um, (laughs) uh, my dad asked if I needed anything from the store he was going to a spot by a record shop that I went into here and there and I said just give me some music give me something to listen to and uh, he came home with that EP Um, phenomenal shit we're going to go ahead and play it for those of you that don't know it I'm sorry it's a fantastic track here we go (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. Touch Me, I'm Sick E.P. was released in 1988. Um, and for those of you who have been living under a rock for however long since 1988, uh, Mudhoney consisted of Post Green River, Mark Arm, and Steve Turner. And, uh, you know, as you can hear from, from what we've just heard, as you can hear from what we just heard, see, I'm really on top of the shit today. Um, probably not one of my best days, but... We're we're going deep here, folks. Uh, I appreciate you all bearing with me. Um, Taking their sound influences from fucking garage rock, you can hear elements of the Sonics, who are another incredibly important Seattle area band. Um, The Count Five, uh, MC5. uh, Fuck, you can hear elements of the Rolling Stones. Uh, more obscure shit that I'm at a loss for coming up with right now off the top of my head at any rate, um, that song blew me away uh, That I spun the shit out of that 7-inch um, it well, obviously it wasn't 1988 when I got it um, but it was highly treasured um, and I don't want to say that's where my musical obsession began um, because I was interested in music before then, but I, I felt like th- it was a good starting point for what we're fucking talking about today. Now, the next release of the sub-pop single series that I want to talk about is Tad. And the EP featured a loser on the A side cooking with gas on the B side. If you're not familiar with Tad, um... Uh, Tad is, takes its name from, the Tad Doyle, of course, Tad Doyle, don't you know, uh, and he's a bit of a Seattle legend at this point, currently doing Brothers of the Sonic Cloth, he also did a side project called Hog Molly back, way back when, um, among many other projects, uh, he's never been credited, but he has been seen performing with master musicians of Bukaki. um, and if you're in the Seattle area, and if you've ever had a chance to see the master musicians of Bukkake play, total insanity. Um, anyway, the EP came out in 1990. Uh, it was a follow-up to the God's Balls LP and the precursor to Eight Way Santa, which came out in 1991. Um, and probably is what most people would say they consider Tad's best album. Now for me, it's Inhaler. Uh, however, Inhaler was not the first Tad I ever heard. The first Tad I ever heard was a CP right here. So we're going to listen to Cooking with Gas. Whee! things that fucking really set Tad aside um, was how uncompromisingly heavy it was. Now, don't get me wrong. Tad definitely has his poppy uh, elements. Um, You'll hear a lot of post-punk, post-rock. You'll hear a lot of psych uh, elements in a lot of the tracks uh, on his albums. Uh, However, there was always this underlying heavy bottom end and just guttural brutality but not in, in the guttural sense of like fucking suffocation or uh, you know whatever death metal flavor of the week is popular right now um, at any rate he stood apart from the pack um, if you want to compare a Tad to uh, anything is maybe a less weird Melvin's um, now also on the heavy side Uh, we're going to talk about Skinyard's start at the top EP, uh, from 1989. Uh, had the track Watch on the B-side, another excellent track. Um, as, uh, a lot of these records we're talking about today, uh, produced by Jack and Dino, uh, who did the project in Dino's Earthworm. He was also the guitar player for Skinyard, um which also featured Tommy from The Accused and others that would go on to form the terrible band Grunt Truck. Um, I don't care. I've never, (laughs) I've never, uh, entertained fucking Grunt Truck. That shit is awful. Um, it's like Mother Love Bone. Uh, I recognize Mother Love Bone's importance, but the music is just not good. Um, i've never understood the cult following um grunt truck never really got such a cult following but they were signed to rc records uh of all labels uh and had several videos on mtv and one of the worst album covers i think i've ever seen um that ran aside skinyard was excellent uh they had something like three full-length albums a bunch of eps um maybe four full-length albums now that i think about it um my favorite of which would be uh, Fist Size Chunk's album just fucking smokes. It's so good. Um, and they're another band. Super heavy. Um, you'll hear a lot of elements of like early Soundgarden in their music. And it's not... Um, I, I don't know. You could say that it was uh, copying another band's style, I guess. But at the time, with these bands, they were so close-knit. Everybody knew each other. Everybody played with each other. So, of course... Some bands are going to have elements of, of some of these other bands in their music. It's unavoidable in a scene like that, where you have so many people involved that uh, participate in, in, in all of these other bands. Um, the amount of overlap is just ridiculous when it comes to this shit. Um, and Skin Yard, again, is no, no exception. Um, so what we're going to go ahead and do is uh, we're going to rock out, start at the top. Hope you all enjoy. endeared me to Skinyard was how fucking eerie they sound underneath all that fucking grungy ruckus uh there were not really any other bands playing that style that had that underlying tone uh and, and i fucking love that about them and that's one of the reasons why i continually go back to that ep and those early releases just fucking great stuff um, now as far as sub pop's concerned the last thing i'm going to talk about is The Derelicts with their Misery Maker, uh, EP, uh, had the track Wash on B-side. Wash, for my money, was the better of the two tracks. The Misery Maker's fantastic, um, it was released in 1990, and, uh, it fucking rages, uh, as far as The Derelicts are concerned, Seattle Garage Punk, um, members were also involved with Zip Gun and other lesser-known bands, uh, as far as sound-wise, if you're familiar with like the Dwarves, that'd be a fucking pretty good reference point, um, and their sound highly influential, uh, at least for the area. Uh, you would be remiss to to deny that there are elements that motivated uh, bands like Sicko and the Fumes uh, from Spokane and Zeke, also from Seattle, who we're gonna fucking talk about a little bit right up next um derelicts actually uh, are still relevant they still they just put out a new album this year um and that's probably going to come up before the end of the year in, in one of those uh 2019 discussions um but i, I digress uh we're going to go ahead and fucking rock the hell out to wash <laughs> Now, I mentioned Zeke, and I cannot lie. Supersound Racing, released in 1994 by IFA Records, was probably one of the most spun CDs that I've ever bought or ever owned. Um, the vinyl still gets tons of play. I'm pulling it out constantly um, because it's such a great record. Um, I want to say few bands at the time really hit me the way that Zeke did. Uh, and it was just, uh, they're just a force, uh, as far as their music was concerned, their live shows were absolutely insane. Um, and they came out a little bit late with that record. Um, so, I mean, I was already entertaining other styles of music, whether we're talking about thrash, uh, death metal, um, Hadn't quite jumped on the black metal bandwagon yet at that point, but uh, Zeke just kind of hit home. Um, Just the raw brand of raucous fun was uh, so needed at the time, Um, especially when the the scene uh, in Seattle, uh, the east side of Seattle, whether we're talking like the Redmond, Bellevue, Kirkland area, um, and this being a regional thing. If you're not familiar with the Seattle area, I don't expect you at all to be familiar with those outlying areas, but they had scenes themselves, um, and at the time, it was just overwhelmed with like, um, you know, for lack of a better word, it's, it's a totally taken on a new meaning at this point, uh, emo uh, in its infancy. Um, huge. Pop Punk um, was another big one, just Candy Coated Drivel um, at a lot of the all-ages shows that we'd go to, um, so it was, it was not so common at the time that you would just get, uh, such an assaultive rock band, uh, on stage, and Zeke definitely fit that bill, um, formed by Danny, uh, not Danny, <laughs> Danny, who's Danny? Uh, Donnie, Paycheck, Um uh, Blind Marky, Felchtone, Dizzy Lee Roth. Listen, those names are just fucking rock and roll, man. Um, And also currently, uh, Kurt Killfelt, who I've talked about before on the YouTube channel. uh, Ex-Agent Steel formed Holy Terror. Uh, Yeah, he plays with Zeke. Um, And it's hard to just narrow down Super Sound Racing to one or two tracks that I want to fucking blast for you, because... The whole album start to finish is just such a fucking face melter uh but we're gonna go ahead and hit you with this one you know that i fucking rager, if ever there was one, on that album. Um, I remember seeing them play at um, an establishment in Redmond, of all places, uh, that no longer does shows, hasn't for probably decades, um, called Magic Studios. (laughs) Uh, Before our eyes, (laughs) Dizzy Lee Roth wearing a jockstrap covered basically only by his, uh, his fucking instrument. Um, his his instrument quote unquote. Yeah. I'm 12. Anyway, um, they were, uh, they played, they destroyed, they were asked to never come again. Um, I remember (laughs) the, the, uh, people in charge of the venue were just livid. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course, we thought it was a, a blast. Uh, the, so much energy on the stage. Uh, we saw Zeke more times than I can recount um, back then, whether it was uh, them playing on the east side um, or whether it was uh, any all-ages venue in Seattle like the King Cat Theater or fucking Velvet Elvis or any of those any of those establishments that uh, are sadly no more. Um just awesome and if you ever saw a live set from zeke their anthem undoubtedly is this classic right here value pack fucking songs about beer drugs cars and motorcycles punk fucking rock with just as much in debt to acdc as any other fucking punk band from the late 70s up into the 80s uh they were kind of in a class of their own um you could say that because of Zeke, we got the super suckers, uh, and fucking, you know, a plethora of other bands, uh, to underplay their importance. It'd be fucking stupid. Um, so yeah, we're going to move on. Um, the next album I'm going to talk about just brief, uh, Zeke Hughes, Martha Splatterheads, maddest stories ever told, 1988 combat records, uh, for my money. This is the best of the early accused albums uh, i like it more than fucking uh martha splatterhead uh and i like it more than more fun than an open casket funeral uh, i think it's just a better album i'm partially kind of uh biased because there is uh, an outstanding track on there that is what we're going to play shortly um the accused. If you're unfamiliar with them, uh, contain members of the Farts, or a local Seattle hardcore band, uh, Ten Minute Warning, which is what basically the Farts turned into. Um, they had members of Tad uh, at some point, and as I mentioned, Skinyard. Um, and what to what to say about the accused that hasn't already been said just just said? Just horror-themed, fucking crossover thrash. Um, in the early days uh, definitely sounded a little bit more hardcore than thrash Um, and you know they would kind of just toe that line for a good while I I got into the accused because I was really into Subvert's first EP and a friend of mine who dug that repped the accused and uh, so he played this track for me here which blew my mind Yes, that is a cover of Sick Boy, originally by GBH, and I fucking loved GBH then. I love GBH now. Um, Not everything, but Sick Boy is not a bad place to start and definitely won me over. Uh, Just Blaine's unmistakable screeching and and belching and and retching over the microphone with Tommy's guitar playing. uh, Razor sharp, that fucking ungodly bass rumble and, and the t- some of the tightest drums uh, that uh, came out of the uh, Seattle Tacoma scene at the time, just phenomenal can't rep that shit enough because of The Accused, I got into shit like Beyond Possession and Raw Power um, which, you know, I probably wouldn't have otherwise, so thanks, uh, thanks to them now, up next talking about the album crime pays when pigs die still one of my favorite album titles from 1991 released by new red archives by the almighty christ on a crutch um this album fucking just it's a scorcher uh i listened to, to listen to this to death um an album that just will go down as one of my all-time favorites uh uh, you know, I'd be remiss to try and do a top 20, uh, but if I were to jot down a top 50 or top 100 for sure, it would, it would definitely be on there. Um, every track on here just scalded into my memory. Um, Christ on a Crutch uh, was a band that transplanted from the Tri-Cities, uh, Washington State, uh, Richland specifically, Uh, You had members in Christ on a Crutch that were involved with uh, Tree People, a pop-punk band that were actually pretty fucking good, Um, similar to, like, the Chemical People. Um, Kill Sibyl and uh, Galleon's Leap. Um, All decent bands that are are worthy of your time. Uh, Christ on a Crutch, though, definitely that assaultive, more abrasive edge is what stuck with me, and let's fucking rock the fuck out. Thank you. was the track dreams um one of the things about christ on a crutch that really appealed to me was how it straddled the line between crust and hardcore um it totally buries the preceding album spread your filth which was decent but it just didn't have the 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 fucking rage or the vigor um that you hear on uh crime Pays. um still worth picking up still worth listening to for sure um, but Crime Pays is their shining moment, um, without a doubt. You know, the next band, we're gonna go ahead and discuss, North American Bison. Now we're getting really regional, folks, because I- I've rarely talked to anybody outside uh, of, of this area that is familiar with North American Bison or, or even really remembers the band. Um, they didn't have a lot of output, um, the EP in question here, uh, you're making me look like an asshole <laughs> released in 1993 by leftover records uh north american bison started jamming around 1991 and they were a legendary live band as far as local seattle bands go uh if north american bison were playing it was a show you wanted to be at because they had so much energy um just amazing performers tight as hell there were not very many bands rocking out with the precision that North American Bison did not to mention precision but energy um, and exuberance man those guys loved to play they lived to play shows Um, and they were one of those bands that you know like I said uh, if they were playing you wanted to go if you were in a band you wanted to be on that bill Uh, it was just awesome shit As far as as the members themselves, uh, I I believe one or two of them came from the Jesters of Chaos, which are another (laughs) super regional band that few people have probably heard of outside of the Seattle area. Um, However, North American Bison sounded nothing like the Jesters of Chaos. Uh, What we're going to go ahead and listen to right now is the amazing, the phenomenal, the one-of-a-kind Broken Dream. Thank you. That track was also featured on the Home Alive comp, uh, which was a CD that came out back in the day. It was a tribute uh, in part to Mia Zapata of the Gitz. Uh, She was murdered uh, in cold blood um, back in, uh, I don't remember the year. It was uh, was a while back, early 90s. It devastated the Seattle scene. didn't matter uh, what type of music you were playing, uh, whether it was punk or emo or grunge or rock um or even the metal fringes uh everyone was affected uh because she was so influential and and just such a force of the scene um was also put out and released in promotion and protection against assault specifically against marginalized people of color sexual orientation identification etc um I digress, it's a great comp uh, Features a ton of of Artists, uh, Nirvana The Fastbacks, Portrait of Poverty Christ Driver, Seven Year Bitch Joan Jett, Jello Biafra And fucking more Um, Great stuff Uh, Highly Recommend uh, North American Bison Whether it's the uh, You're Making Me Feel Like an Asshole EP uh, Or their uh, full length CD Um, It's fucking Just great shit uh, one of the things that was always really, really, um, I want to say impressive about North American Bison was not just uh, their energy uh, and how they played and, and the, the, the high level to which they played, but also the maturity of, um, of their lyrics. Um, just fucking great shit. Coming up towards the tail end of the podcast, i have got a few more uh, that we want to go ahead and discuss Starting again, not really starting. <laughs> this freeforming shit. I'm getting used to it, but man, it's it's, it's a tough it's a tough gig. Uh, we're going to talk about "Behead the Prophet, No Lord Shall Live" with their album "I Am the Great and Fiery Force," released in 1996 by Outpunk Records. Um, this is late. It's another one. Uh, I was already listening to a ton of shit. Not just hardcore, not just punk, uh, you know, thrash, death metal. Um, I had started hearing black metal at this point. Um, There was a lot of input uh, in my world back then, a lot of stimuli. Um, And Behead the Prophet was a fucking phenomenal band that uh, bridged a lot of those genres for me and for a lot of people. Um, It was a band that was kind of a continuation of the Muckle Teo Fairies, uh, which were a band that <laughs> named themselves after the ferries uh, that left the Mukilteo Ferry Terminal uh, in, in Washington State. Uh, but, it, you know, uh, it was a pun. It was a play on words uh, and clever at that. And they were a band that was responsible for possibly starting the Queer Core movement in the Washington State area, at least the Seattle area, um, at least in my world as far as, as far as I knew, as far as my friends knew. Um, because at that point in time, you know, there was no internet, so there's not really any way to know what bands were doing, say Massachusetts or Florida beyond Zines, and typically by the time you got Zines back then, uh, they're already six months too late. Um, that being said, it's probably a fair statement to say that without the Muckleshoot Fairies, there'd be no bands like Gloss. Um, for sure um, at any rate we're, we're not going to stick or touch on that for, for too much longer because it's 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 pertinent but um, we want to move on we want to move forward um, they had a few releases uh, two amazing EPs uh, and they also contributed to several comps uh, back in the day we're going to go ahead and peep the track contention by the Mukulti of Fairies. <laughs> That song just fucking kills Uh was featured on the Pacific Northwest comp We Are All Guilty which had tracks by North American Bison who we just heard uh, among many others uh, Deprived I think were on there, Positive Greed Whipped, a lot of lo- local bands, a lot of local love uh, on that record and uh, yeah that track just slays um, at any rate uh, once the Muckle Teal Fairies called it a day, they became Behead the Prophet, No Lord Shall Live. And yes, that is taken from a deicide song. Um, as far as members uh, of both bands, uh, you had people involved in bands like Pinhead Gunpowder, uh, Lords of Lightspeed, which was pre Wolves in the Throne Room, um, Botch, Sumac, and one of my favorites, Tight Bros from way back when, put out two excellent albums. Um, great band, amazing energy, and just good people. Um, they're one of those bands that treated their fans like family. Uh, now I, I lived in what is now considered a pretty infamous punk house in the Seattle area back in the day. Um, I was a bit introverted, uh, unlike several of the other folks that I lived with. I went to the shows, um, but I was kind of mellow. Uh, I didn't really go out of my way uh, at the time to, to try and get to know everybody in the scene. Um, it was just kind of an overwhelming task. I was happy uh, in, in my envelope of people. However, uh, my roommates uh, w- were tight with a lot of these bands. Um, so, you know, to say that back in the day, I was on a first-name basis with Josh Plague or Quitty from Muckle Teo Fairies and Behead the Prophet uh, wouldn't be a lie. Um, don't know what they're up to now Uh, I want to say that uh, Josh is involved in some punk band out of LA Uh, Quiddy don't know what he's up to these days or any of the rest of them for that matter Uh, doesn't matter we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna play a Behead the Prophet song off of I am the great and fiery force
1: Satan is ever ready to seduce us with sensual delights
2: You're not right,
0: Song that just rules. Uh, Seriously, it is a smoker from start to finish. Um, It just just beats you repeatedly uh, in in the best of ways. It's one of many, many high points on "I Am the Great and Fiery Force." Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Check out the album. Check out all these records. Um, We're nearing the tail end here. Got two more two more that I want to talk about. Uh, let see if I can get through this without getting even furtherly, furtherly, new word. Look me up, Webster, hit me up. I want to talk about royalties for using that word in the future. Um, <laughs> it's rough, man. Especially when <laughs> you used to more structure. Jesus Christ. Anyway, we got two more bands we want to talk about starting with Crisis Rebirth. And they were one of those bands, again, like the Muckleteal Fairies and had the Prophet, who we just talked about, North American Bison. Uh, if they played a show, you wanted to be there. And if you were a band, you wanted to be on the bill. Crisis Rebirth were just legendary at the time for putting on a phenomenal set. Uh, they played with amazing bands like Christ Driver, Wormwood. Uh, I saw them play with... ABC Diablo from Germany, um, touring uh, under an unknown name, um, uncredited, um, in a warehouse in North Seattle, uh, fucking blew my mind. Uh, cl- the split that I want to talk to you about is, is literally the only piece of music, recorded music that Crisis Rebirth has um, called Kleptocracy uh, with Art Tortured. I want to say came from uh, New Mexico. It was released in 1997 uh, by Bad People, Riotous Assembly. It has striking cover art, uh, firstly, that was uh, done by Brian Ward from Christ Driver. Um, Just probably one of the the seven-inch covers that stood out most in my collection back in the day. Um, And you really picked up from that cover art the tone of the music that you were going to hear Uh, in their output, Um, and it's a complete diametric opposite from the material by R. Tortured, which they were like a power violence grind band with like shrieky vocals. Um, Crisis Rebirth were known for being slow and heavy. Um, They're like a fucking crusty version of obituary almost in in, in their vocals and and their guitar tone. would have been awesome to see them just break into like a Celtic Frost cover uh to just nail home that fucking obituary influence um at any rate let's go ahead and check out Kleptocracy goosebumps people that track it fucking gets me uh every time i hear it i just am blown away by the just the savagery the inhumanity uh it's just overwhelming it's so good um not many bands like that uh, at the time uh at least not from this area you had to go to like socal dystopia fucking glycine max um dopa that type of shit um, at any rate, uh, the last band that I want to talk to you about, it's not a Seattle band, it was a Portland band, PDX represent, um, but they were commonly seen in Seattle. Uh, they played a lot in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, they were around for a fucking long time. They have a lot of releases, um, almost a daunting amount of releases, uh, to their discography, uh, I'm talking about Dead Moon. Um, now, the, the EP that I picked up um, at the time, the one that stuck with me the most, now it's not necessarily my favorite material that they've released um, <laughs> in, a, in a, like I said, a very lengthy discography, um, but it, it's probably the one that I remember the most and go back to the most. Um, talk about Dead Moon with their Black September EP. Uh, released in 1989, Tombstone Records. Now, like many of these, it wasn't 1989 when I picked this album up. It was definitely later. Um, and this is a band that was a little bit unlike a lot of what I listened to because while Dead Moon definitely um, had callbacks to the punk scene at the time, um, they were more rooted in, in like the traditional garage rock um, started by like the Sonics. Um, in the sixties. Uh, but with some aspects of, of, fucking country music and folk music, um, stuff like, uh, you'd hear, uh, callbacks to Rocky Erickson shit, 13th floor elevators type stuff. Um, Captain Beefheart, uh, influences, uh, abound. But, uh, ultimately it was just a raw rocking, very soulful band on, you know, If you were to talk to anybody involved in the group, they'd probably say that they were just as inspired by classic R&B um, from, you know, from way back when. Um, just a great band, and their live performances were, were awesome. You'd see people from all sorts at one of their shows. You'd see punks. You'd see fucking the, the rock and rollers. You'd see uh, people involved in like the rockabilly scene, uh, psychabilly, You'd see uh, just regular people. You'd see fucking hippies in dead shirts. Um, It was an interesting melting pot of people brought together by this band who, if you look at them, were not necessarily (laughs) that great. Um, Just, it was really the heart that they put into their music Uh, that that made it what it is it's it's raw it's often poorly recorded Um, you know the vocals are not necessarily uh, (laughs) uh, at the level of say like a crooner Uh, Fred Cole guitar player, singer, uh, songwriter um, you know like he was definitely the the driving voice Uh, and his voice faltered a lot um, uh, but that was one of the, uh, things that I think endeared a lot of people to the music. Um, the band itself was, uh, consisted of Fred Cole and his wife, Tootie. Um, Fred, unfortunately passed away back in November of 2017 due to liver disease. Um, and then on drums, there was Andrew Loomis and he as well passed away back in, uh, 2016. Um. You know, and, and those were real losses to the Seattle scene, like, like not in the same regard as Mia Zapata, um, in a different scenario. Um, but they were such, uh, figureheads in the Pacific Northwest scene, uh, that the weight of, of, of their passing hit a lot of people, um, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and it's, it's a bummer, man. Um, it's one of the few times where uh, a musician has, has passed that like, I've, I've actually you know, gotten the feels, uh, if that's what the young kids are saying these days. Um, just a great band, and I, I think a great note to end this episode on. This is their track, Black September. just a great cut uh and one of my favorites from dead moon uh to be honest i i will love aspects of any album dead moon put out uh between uh, 1987 i want to say is about when they formed and they've put on albums as recently as into the 2000s um all worth hearing uh like i said it's a it's a daunting discography for sure um this is a great place to start Uh, stranded in the mystery zone is probably my favorite lp uh that they put out uh another great album just full of raw garage punk rock and roll just great great shit um and that's it that's the last that's the last one i promise i've got no more to talk about uh there's plenty more i could talk about you know the melvins uh, would be one uh, of many uh, that I kind of regret not taking the time to discuss. Carp, who became uh, big business. Godhead Silo. Engine Kid. Engine um, Kid is where fucking Greg Anderson from Southern Lord got his start in music in the Seattle area. Um, and Stephen O'Malley uh, eventually. Fucking, there are a lot of great bands if you go back. Through the Annals of the Seattle Music Scene, The Gestures of Chaos are another good one, Um, Positive Greed, Two Minutes Hate, um, 1007, Murder City Devils. That's just, it's an endless list. Uh, And if you want to go to the whole Pacific Northwest, expand out to Portland, it gets even bigger. Um, I tried to keep it as local as possible, but I really wanted to talk about Dead Moon. Um, I also really wanted to talk about The Mono Men. Uh, from Bellingham, and I didn't get an opportunity to touch on them. Uh, Maybe I will in a future episode. They're fucking great founders of Estrus Records. Um, Another great band, like the U-Men. Just kind of stand on their own uh, stalwarts. Uh, There's not much more I can add. Um, If you've made it this far, this is probably my longest episode date. We're approaching one hour and thirty minutes. thank you for listening. Seriously, uh, it means a lot. Just the feedback, seeing the views and the downloads. um, You know, it's the reason why I'm doing this podcast. Um, I mean, added to the fact that I I just love doing it. I love the outlet. Um, As far as other uh, tidbits, I'm going to be starting a YouTube channel in tandem with the uh podcast i don't know quite when that's gonna go into the works but um i have plans for it um just so i can kind of give a visual um partner to to what i'm talking about here on the episodes um i won't be just showing stuff strictly related to the episodes that i do um since this is like a once a month thing um but you know you'll see stuff that that pops up here uh there as well uh, when it happens. Uh, and that's the start of an MC5 song. Uh, anyway, again, thank you for the listens and all the feedback. Find me on Facebook, uh, join the group, uh, converse with me there. Uh, I'm all about just that back and forth, that, uh, dialogue. Uh, it's, like I said, it's the reason I keep doing this. With that said, take care of yourselves. And until next time, It's been real.